Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 37. I think this is a great omen for me and my Bruins. Episode 37, the Patrice Bergeron episode of 2, 5, and 10. Benny, what up? I was going to go with the Michael Samuelson episode, but yeah, we'll go with Patty Bergeron. Is, uh, is he an <laughs> okay substitute? Yeah, I think I think he's slightly better than uh, Samuelson there. We'll give it to him. Yeah, I, I uh, hope so. <laughs> but... Yeah, man, that song brings me right back to my old wrestling days. I'm anticipating if that song starts playing in Game 5, maybe Ray Bork coming down the tunnel with a sledgehammer in his hand, ready to get things started. Uh, but Game 5, tomorrow night, both teams two wins away from the Stanley Cup. Let's get right into it. I want your thoughts on Games 3 and 4. Uh, we'll get into the Chara situation and guys' defensive issues uh, in terms of just having healthy bodies. Uh, but what are your thoughts on games three and four? And we'll take it from there. All right. Um, we're down to a best of three series. With that recap of game three, I expected St. Louis to come out and be ready to play, blow the doors off that place. That place was ready to explode, and they did not give them a reason to. They were flat, flat, flat. And, I mean, the Bruins outplayed them in – I think the biggest thing when you look at game three and game four, what it comes down to is when the Bruins can establish their north-south game and have clean breakouts and start wheeling up the ice, St. Louis can't play with them. But on the opposite end, when you look at game four, when St. Louis is able to come in and establish their forecheck and play physical, the Bruins can't play with them. So... In every game thus far, outside of games game one's first period and halfway through the second, I think whichever team comes out and kind of dictates play wins the game. And I want to call it right now that I think whoever wins game five wins in game six. I think it's going to be back-to-back. At the same time, I do think that Tuka Rask has been saving us. I mean, yeah. the, out of his mind. And Bennington, awful. Uh, that goal that he gave up on the penalty kill to Carlo, he gets the shot and he saves that first shot. In this time of the year, I mean, goalies have the eye as to where they're putting their rebounds and rebound control. And he doesn't have it. He He saves that first puck. And before he kicks over to the left, when when they show it from the net cam, he kind of stays in the middle and kind of opens up because he doesn't know where the puck is. He thinks it's kind of in front of him somewhere, not completely to the other side. And that's what gives Carlo enough time to score that goal. I think he's really shaky right now. I think he's, yeah, he's extremely shaky. It. Yeah, like it, it doesn't seem like it's coming to him natural. Obviously, we can speak the obvious. Um, Chara gets hurt. The Bruins are back down to five defensemen, just like in game two. You're going to get beat up, man. It, it is a long, long series. Uh, we both decided that in the beginning, and 
when St. Louis can establish like they did in both games two and four, that four check and you only have five D, you're not going to win the game, period. Um, Looking at it, there was one point in that second period where St. Louis had them pinned in for about four minutes straight. Clifton had a three-minute and six-second shift. In it, like yeah, in the Kovalov. like in the NHL playoffs, Stanley Cup final, a three minute and six second shift. That's insane. Going into the third period, I'm not gonna lie. At that point, we didn't know the severity of Zidane Ochara's injury. We thought he was just going to the room to get zipped up and come back on the ice. Yeah, maybe a couple of teeth. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't think it was gonna be to what we found out it was yesterday, but I did think. Tuka Rask had enough in him to steal the Bruins game four. I honestly thought that. I thought he kept them in it the whole game, and through that, he was going to steal them game four. In every goal this whole series, you can't point the finger at Rask. None no. of them. So going into it, I mean, th- that's kind of my recap. I-, I think it's just a tale of two different teams. Now we'll talk into the more severity of the char injury, but the Bruins have a tough task ahead of them. Throwing in a very cold Stephen Kampfer. Ugh. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, I, I just don't know what else to say. Um, going at it today in practice, Matt Grizzlick was on the ice, but he was in a no-contact jersey. So through that, I just don't know as to whether he plays or if he doesn't. Hopefully he can do some more testing. They had practice earlier. Maybe he's going for testing now. Hopefully he's cleared to play tomorrow. If he doesn't play, our our top six defensive pair is John Moore, Charlie McAvoy, Krugan Carlo is the way it's been all season, Stephen Camper and Connor Clifton. Talk about, like, that's... I mean, I don't know how St. Louis... Granted, before I say St. Louis looks for that matchup, it's at Boston, so they have the last change. But the only thing is, if you're on the fly and you see certain guys out there, who's to say Baruby's not looking for that matchup? Yeah. Like, you don't know what to expect. With it, I did read an article today from Joey McDonald uh, in The Athletic that um, if anyone's going to play with a broken jar, it's Dan O'Chara. I, I don't think he plays. I mean, talk about pain because you know that first shift, once is that puck is tied up at the net, it doesn't matter who it is in St. Louis. He is getting a right glove right in that fishbowl mask. Like, that would just completely rattle someone. I don't think we see Zidane O'Chara anymore. I don't. Awful time for an injury. Sucks. But this is the playoffs. This is... Now going to another part of Boston, now you want to look down in Foxborough. Hey, next guy up. Do your job. Don't worry about anything else. Worry about your job. And with that, I mean, who's to say, I know that this is a stretch, so God forgive me. Who's to say that Stephen Camphor can't come in and play two lights out games, or not even lights out, just be good enough to help the Bruins win two games? Who's to say? Well, all right. So a, a lot to unpack there. Uh, 
I'll start off with, so if Chara and Grizzlick don't go for game five, and you listed the defensive pairs, you got to ride Krug and Carlo like 25 minutes, even if it's a regulation game. I know McAvoy is a legitimate top pair defender, but you can't run him paired with John Moore out there for 18, 20 minutes a night. McAvoy will get his minutes. Hopefully he'll have enough time on a power play to jack those minutes up. But at even strength, if I'm Cassidy, I'm riding Krug and Carlo. I'm giving Camfer and uh, Clifton 10 minutes just to spell some guys if it's a regulation game. Hopefully it doesn't go to OT because that really puts the Bruins at a significant disadvantage the longer the game goes on. But when it comes to Camfer, he spent some time with the Rangers. He was AV's pet toy project, whatever you want to call it. He has it in him. I've seen it firsthand with the Rangers that he can step in, get hot for a week, and then start getting exposed again. He gets sent to the press box, comes back in for a game or two, plays well. So I wouldn't be surprised if he comes in for a game five, maybe even game five and game six, and isn't as bad as other teams' seventh defenseman would be. Uh, so he has experience playing sporadically. He has experience uh, coming in and playing well for short stretches, so I wouldn't be surprised there. It's the Clifton spot that worries me, and then having to play John Moore potentially 18-plus minutes for game five. For Char's injury itself, I'm going to bring us back to the Rangers again, uh, just to be selfish. Derek Stefan in 2014, I teased this on our Facebook page. Derek Stefan in 2014 in the Eastern Conference Final against the Canadians broke his jaw on a dirty hit by Brandon Prust in Game 3. I think midway through the second period of Game 3. He missed Game 4 because he had to get surgery on his jaw, but came back for Game 5. He played with a really ugly shield and all that. So if I'm looking at it from that point of view, it didn't seem like Chara needed to have surgery. I'm not saying it's like an insignificant broken jaw because you're all fucking nasty. But I would be thoroughly shocked if he misses game six. I would be, I think it's a little bit of a long shot to see him in game five, but I would not be surprised to see him in game six. Definitely coming back for game seven because if Stefan can do it after having a surgery on a broken jaw and missing one game in the Houston Conference Final, and I think it was game three, one day off, game four, one day off, and he came back for game five. So that three-day break, he was able to return. So I wouldn't be surprised if Char is able to pull that off too. And I mean, not to mention too, if it goes to a game seven now, we're talking nine days. Yeah. The three, three, three the, for the time off. So I mean... Maybe he just needs a little bit of healing time. So, yeah, I mean, maybe there is a chance. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised there. Grizzlick with the non-contact jersey, it was, I think that was a major step, him being able, even in a non-contact jersey, to be getting out there on the ice, getting the blood moving, putting himself in positions where he's not just sitting stationary, he's not sitting in a dark room, taking it easy, taking precautions for his concussion. So he got out there. It seemed like he got out of it fine. He talked to the press after. So he didn't have any lingering issues immediately after the practice. So that's a good sign. If he does pass the testing, Cassie already said he's in there. So I think he's going to be tested tomorrow morning. I think I read on Twitter it's going to be like a 10 a.m. injury update East Coast time. So we'll see what happens there. 
that would be huge if we can come back because that probably means Clifton is out. Uh, even though I know you dislike John Moore, I think he's better suited than Clifton to play in the top six for one game. Yeah, no, um, I don't know if it would be Clifton. It might be Camfer that comes out just with him having not played yet. Um, okay. They did say, too, before any of this, once his Chara got hurt, that they didn't know if Camfer was going to be the guy going in because Chara was a lefty and now Camfer's a righty, so they they wanted that lefty stick. They were thinking maybe Vakaninen or Lozon or Zaboral. Uh, Vak- yeah, I mean, Vakaninen skated with the team. He was not in that top six. He was just outside with Grizzlick in the no-contact jersey. I mean, he was another guy that, I mean, we talked about it on this show. He came in, he got a concussion, and then that was it. Like, hadn't seen him the rest of the year, out injured. He played in Providence a little bit. I think it was a total of 13 games. So, I mean, Cassidy said it today when asked if he was going to put Vakanine in it. His response was just, that's a big ask. And, I mean, this kid's a rookie. This was his first year in North America. And if he got the call to go in, today would be, like, right into a Stanley Cup final game. Like, that's insane. Game five, tied 2-2. Okay, kid, here you go. Yeah, like, I mean, I I know Carlo had some nerves this year in that first-round Toronto series. But the only thing is, like, Carlo had played two other years in the league. He got hurt at unfortunate times, which caused him to miss the playoffs. So, I mean, seeing him kind of be able to go over that nervousness after game one and game two, like, it's phenomenal. He's been great. He's probably going to get paid about $4 million bucks a year this summer. Mm-hmm. I the just, thing is... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, like, I just don't know. I, it, like, no matter how bad... It gets injury-wise right now. Like, say we have game five and we get two other guys in. Like, the guys going in there, like, I don't know what to say. And this is coming from the Don Sweeney, we need to build the farm system. Well, we should have had someone there that said, huh, perfect. We can pick him right up and put him right in there and we'd have no question. Yeah, those two first-round picks on D not necessarily helping you out right now. Yeah, phenomenal. (laughs) Uh, The thing just to kind of, at least on my end, wrap up the defensive talk. If I'm the Blues and Char's out, Grizzly is, is out, you're facing Camphor and Moore, Clifton. Yeah, you're going to put the puck in their corner. You're going to pressure them. You're going to hope uh, that the moment's too big for them. But if I'm the Blues, I'm focusing mostly on the Krug and Carlo pair. And they're big, I mean, not big boys. Carlo's the big boy. But Krug's a tough son of a bitch. It's not going to be easy, but if you wear them out, if you nick them up, then Boston is essentially fucked, at least for in-game for game five. Yeah. Um, I'd say, yeah, I'm with you 100%. Like, that's the that's the pair you worry about. I mean, McAvoy can hurt you, but you don't feel he's as dangerous with Moore as his partner as opposed to Chara. So going into that, I mean... I just don't know which team on both sides is going to show up for game five. Like it, It's just been the story of two different teams every game. So if the Bruins can come out and their offense can take over, they're heading up 3-2 going to St. Louis. If St. Louis comes in 
tomorrow night and they establish their forecheck and they cycle pucks and they start being physical, they're going home with a chance to win the cup. Yeah. For me, it's what Jordan Bennington is going to show up for game five. And just speaking of Bennington, if they're able to steal game five in potential series clinching games this year, so if they're able to steal game five and go home for game six, he's 3-0 and with a 1.17 goals against and a 9.47 save percentage. So maybe that's what finally takes him out of his funk. But he has not been playing good at all. No. Like, and if I'm St. Louis, that's the biggest wild card here. Is that, I mean, which Jordan Bennington is going to show up? All they need is for him to be average. Like, just not give up goals that he should be getting. Yeah, no, I mean, game three was pretty evident that he was just average. And I mean... The goals he let up in game four, probably should have had. He, I mean, he probably should have had. I mean, there was one. It, it wasn't a goal, but it was It was either the start of the first or the start of the second. I don't remember, but he gets a shot, and it plopped straight down right underneath his leg. And he had no idea where it was. The, the D. Perenko had to hold it against his leg pad because Bennington thought he had it. He was like, the kid does not have a fail of a puck right now. Go. And I know he's Mr. Cool Comma Collective, but maybe it is the moment. Maybe it is the stage of the Stanley Cup Finals kind of getting to him a little bit. Do you think it's that, or do you think part of it is Tuca has been so good on that other end that if he makes a mistake, n- now it's nervousness yeah. in the sense that, t- shit, if if one gets by me, he's not letting any by him. Like, I, I wonder if it's just that, that... Currently, he knows that other goalie is that much better than he is because he hasn't re- he hasn't run into that all postseason. I think that's a huge part of it, uh, especially when you hear from other goaltenders from around the league. Look at a guy like Lundqvist when he played the Capitals. I think it was the twenty fifteen postseason. Uh, him and Holpe had a fantastic series. It was. One mistake by either guy was going to be the difference in the game. So all that pressure on each goaltender not to make that mistake. The thing for me is, as a quick, I guess, recap of games three and four and then a preview of game five and six. I don't think Rask had a phenomenal game four. I don't think he had a poor game four. But even when he's not at his best, he almost stole a game for Boston. It was tied 2-2. Uh, half midway through the third, Boston still had a chance, even which down to 5D, two cannot have in his best game. Marshan still MIA. He was still almost able to pull that out for him. You can't say that for Bennington. Bennington's not going to sit there. And if he plays just slightly below what he has shown that he can produce, the Blues have no chance. And that's been shown in this final so far. So that's the significant advantage for Boston, in my mind, in the next th- two to three games. Tuka can have the quote-unquote subpar game and still steal one form. And one thing you just said, too. We were down to 5D, and he almost stole that game. I yes. know the confidence level isn't there going into game five just with who's playing, but if we could actually have a full game with six defensemen, like, just, <laughs> but no, I'm just saying, because the game St. Louis won, we were down to 5D. Game two and game four. So if if we can be good enough to just keep everybody healthy for a full 60 minutes, why don't we win? 
Agreed, and that's kind of the leadership aspect for me for both teams. After Game Three, St. Louis had home first Stanley Cup final game in 49 years in St. Louis. Got railroaded by the Bruins. You could have just easily have seen that team fold up, and Boston went both in St. Louis and come back to Boston with a chance to win tomorrow night. But they came back, they battled back, they played their game, and they won game four. To me, that shows a team, obviously, they have experience with that, being dead last in the league at the beginning of the new year, and then reaching the Stanley Cup final. So this is a very mentally tough team. But on that stage, to be able to right the ship that quickly and get it back on track shows a lot of poise and leadership uh, for the Blues. But for the Bruins, just to highlight it again, Marshan's not producing... You have Pasternak and Bergeron kind of starting to break out of it a little bit. Not healthy at all on the back end. Tuka didn't have his best game four, and he still almost pulled out a three games in one lead. If I'm Boston, like you said, just stay healthy in game five. Believe in a system, which you guys have been doing all year long, all Stanley Cup playoffs long. And you just got to, you know the feeling on the bench when you know your goalie is not going to cost you the game. Do you think that causes nervousness to somebody else? Like, uh, oh, Charlie coughs up a puck, ends up in the back of the net. A- at this point, no one's blaming Tuca. <laughs> no, I'm yes. just saying it. Like, because, l- like you said, you know your goalie's not costing you that game. So now it's going to be someone out on the ice. Whether it's someone coughs a puck up in a bad spot, someone doesn't back check hard enough. And. I don't want to see fingers pointed this time of the year at all, especially if you lose game five and you're going into game six down a game. That That's the last thing you need is the, the Kool-Aid of poor me, you know? So that's not what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's, that can be 100% true. Might make some guys who are relatively new to the league or first time in the final could give them the extra jitters of, instead of taking that risk and pinching in to help in the offensive zone, the puck's going the other way, and if it ends up in the back end of that, you're like, fuck. But for me, I feel like the Bruins look at that and they go, we know Tuga isn't going to lose a game for us. We can rely on him to potentially even steal us a game. I have full confidence, if I'm on a Bruins, that we can get to Bennington. And once we get one, maybe even two, especially early on, I think it's game over. So I would have that extra confidence going in going, let's put balls to the wall early on, first period, try and get a two-goal lead, and then we got it. With Tuca and that, like that's got to be the mentality if I'm on the Bruins right now. I have a question for you going for a, a neutral perspective. What were your thoughts on Zidane Chara? knowing that he could not play that third period, just coming and sitting on the bench. I mean... Oh, I love it. All right, because, I mean, th- there was guys like Brandon Carlos, like, you want to talk about leadership. This guy knows he couldn't even talk. But, you know, in between whistles, he's going out and he's slapping us on the ass. So, so he was there. Even though he couldn't do anything, he wanted to sit on the bench with his teammates. That's like no, a la high school when someone breaks a wrist or an arm and, you know, they're <laughs> and they're just on the bench freezing their balls off. Yeah, I mean, I love the move. And at the time, 
you have to think part of it might have also been a decoy move because, yeah, everybody saw him get hurt. They saw some blood. But I think everybody thought it was just needing some stitches, might need some uh, dental work after the game. But him coming out on a bench, that sits in the back of the mind of the Blues going, he hasn't skated yet, but maybe he's going to pop back out here on a big PK or late in the game, especially if they get a one-goal lead. So that kind of doesn't eliminate him from the game plan at all. It just kind of he looms over the game at that point. So from a game plan point of view, that's where I'm coming from from that. For leadership, yeah, I loved it. Get back out there on the bench. Even if the team knew he wasn't going to be out there being able to uh, skate a shift, just silently sitting there as a six-foot-nine captain going, listen, boys, let's get this fucking thing going here. Well, loved think, it. I think he was saying, listen, boys, let's get this thing going here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when it happened, there was one part that made me think it was more than just stitches. Like, usually when you see a guy get cut, you know he gets cut. Towel, skates fast, down the runway, you know, kind of get me back up. So he gets up, and it was before he put the towel to his face, he has just this blank stare, just no emotion, and it almost like you couldn't see it, but I think he's in there with his tongue kind of feeling around as to what is or what isn't. Yeah, and I mean, just this face as to something isn't right. And I think that was the worst thing because I'm sitting there with Stratty and I'm looking at him like, ah, a couple of zips, he'll be back. But But then it's like they just show that blank stare and it's like, he comes back onto the bench, and now he has the big fishbowl, and he has his huge beard. And you see that big blood spot right underneath his lip, under his bottom lip, and you're like, wow, you think they would have sewed that up. So that's when it's like, I, I think there's more than just stitches here. Yeah, and, to me, when I saw that, I thought his look conveyed a, fuck, my Stanley Cup might be over here. Yeah, it's just it was just that blank stare of this is th- this isn't what it's supposed to be. Like this is this is more than just stitches. Moving ahead, and we talked about the Bruins defensive situation for game 5 tomorrow night we're recording here on uh, Wednesday afternoon. What does Boston need to do? that they haven't been doing the first four games to not only get the game five win at home and defend home ice, but to put themselves in a position in game six to potentially win a cup. Well, before we get into all that, I just have to get into uh, this episode of 2, 5, and 10 is brought to you by 2M Electrical Solutions. This is Christopher Kendig's company. He's a journeyman electrician. You can call Chris at 978-994-6440. And tell them that the boys from 2, 5, and 10 sent you, and you automatically get the 17% discount. With that, I mean, what's an electrician going to do for you? He came and he did my house, and I'm going to be honest with you. This is New England, people. You never know when it's going to snow, when it's going to be heavy, wet snow, and when your power is going to be out for three days. And that happened to us a couple of years ago. We called Chris. He gave us our generator hookup. He is the go-to guy. Yet again, 2M Electrical Solutions, 978-994-6440. I wouldn't send you to somebody I don't use. 
tell them the boys from two, five, and ten cent yet. You automatically get the seventeen percent discount. This is for people strictly in Massachusetts. He is a licensed electrician in Massachusetts. I am sorry, our New Hampshire folks. I'm sorry, our north of the border folks. Strictly licensed in Massachusetts. I apologize. Going to game five and game six. And he's a stun muffin. He, he is a stud. I will give him that. I mean, he he didn't pay us for the ad. He paid us to say he was a stud muffin. So we'll, we will gladly take <laughs> his money for that part of it. But um, going into a game five. Like I said, I mean, I think this all depends as to which team shows up on both sides. Is Boston going to get north and south, or is St. Louis going to establish a forecheck? I think St. Louis is bringing everything they got. I I honestly do. I think they can smell blood in the water. You got guys who haven't played in a while now back in the lineup. I mean, if Grizzlick goes, you know they are going to be hard on him, trying to rattle him again. First game back from a concussion, kind of test the waters a little bit. But I feel an omen here, Benny. Like, this is episode 30. Uh, This is episode 37 of 2, 5, and 10. I I think Mr. 37, Mr. Patrice Rafters Bergeron, is going to make an appearance. And he's bringing his sidekick with him. And I think that big nose fuck is finally (laughs) going to do something. Like, he's. I have been pissed watching him. And I think the St. Louis, like we talked about last episode of not bothering him, is now bothering him. I think game five, especially after you start in game four when he comes in at the start of that third and he gives Bennington that little hook on the leg pad and Bennington looks like he got shot. Like the sniper from the rafters in St. Louis shot Bennington as Brad Marchand politely hooked his leg pad. Marshy's there about fucking time, but I think he finally appears. He's going to do something. And it's easier to be a little. Oh, yeah. So, I no, was just going to say it's easier to be a little douche when you're at home, too. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm not pointing the finger at the referees here in game four. I just want to address that after Barubi's comments after game three, game four comes out and. That first period, you want to talk about penalties that should have been called. There was guys getting cross-checked in the mouth. There was guys getting punched in the face. And the thing that upset me the most was the Bruins' response. Nothing. And I understand you're always taught in hockey. It's always going to be the guy who retaliates. So maybe you don't want to put your team shorthanded. I get that. But in between that first and second intermission, if I'm Cassidy, this is my response. All right, boys, they're not fucking calling it. This is what we're going to do now. I want to go out right now from the start of this second period and see what it takes to get a fucking penalty called, even against us. Punch them right in the face, cross-check them right in the mouth. We've got it the whole fucking first period. Wake the fuck up. End quote. That would be me. <laughs> Just saying. I love it. Um, Game five, Tuca's on his game. He's going to keep pucks wide. I think that's fine. I think the power play is finally going to reemerge. They were awful in game four. They weren't shooting the puck. They were waiting for seams. 
I think that's going to be brought up in video. I think they're going to get get called out. I think there's going to be a lot more shooting, especially with how bad Bennington's rebound control has been. I think once as the puck is up top and you see that D wind up for a shot, all three guys, the two half-wall guys and the guy in front of net are going to collapse. Someone's banging in a rebound. I think the Bruins get to Bennington, shake him a little bit, and they will win this game 5-2 in Boston. Unfortunately, I know I just said at the beginning of this show, I think whoever wins game five is going to win game six. I don't think that. I think the Blues are going to win game six. It seems like when there's a chance for them to go down, they don't. And they're going to find a way to dig it out. Yet again, low scoring. Beat the Bruins by one. Call it an empty net. Call it two. Comes back to Boston. Do you have the hot take alarm? Ring. I, I have it. Ring that fucking alarm right now. Because <laughs> this is what's going to happen. And I'm playing this shit in my mind. And yet again, maybe it's an omen. The Boston Bruins win the Stanley Cup on home ice in Game 7 in overtime. And there is going to be a certain person, a number 37, who is going to get cross-checked from the back as he bangs in a rebound. And he's not going to fly like Bobby Orr the long way. He's going to fly like Bobby Orr the other way behind the net into the boards. But that cup's ours. There it is. Ring that bell. That, that's Maybe, uh... all in one. Maybe if it goes back to Boston for Game Seven, uh, you'll get a ticket from uh, Redder to go to the game you and Red. That would be the best Father's Day gift I could ever ask for. <laughs> um, for me, for Games Five and Six, I want to keep this as short and sweet as possible. As the outsider here, it's going to boil down to for St. Louis, which Jordan Bennington shows up if he has a poor. It continues his poor series in the game five. Boston's going to win this. It's not going to be a, a blowout, I don't think, but I think that puts St. Louis at a significant disadvantage, even with the defensive issues going on with Boston right now. And for me, the key person you touched on it, it's got to be Brad Marchand. This is the time of year, the time of the, each series that Marchand is built for. I know he's been neutralized just because St. Louis hasn't been engaging with him pretty much mostly after the whistle uh, throughout the first four games. He's got to just start getting on a score sheet. Get out of your head a little bit. Play your game. Bergeron snapping out of it. Pasta snapping out of it. This is your time. This is He is the difference maker in the sense of goal scoring on that line for a game like this. And if he shows up, great time for Boston. My issue is... For St. Louis, yes, they have the obvious advantage of having six healthy D at this point. Dunn's back. He played well in his first game back from his uh, head injury. Boston's going to get a bump from playing at home. They have the last change. They're going to be able to hopefully shelter their third pair of Camphor and Clifton if uh, Char and Grizzlick don't go. I could see Boston, especially at home with the crowd, 
getting Martian revved up, having last change, and Tuca being Tuca, you guys still walking out of Boston with that game five win. And if that happens, series is over because that this is St. Louis's best chance after winning game four is to win game five to put themselves in position to win the Stanley Cup. If they can't take advantage of that in game five with all the things that are lining up for them, the cup is over in my mind. And I know I predicted my hot take was whoever won game three would win the Stanley Cup. Well, I'm still sticking with that. I don't even think it goes back to Boston. I think this ends in game six in St. Louis. Even with the health issues Boston has and the lack of consistent, I guess, production from a guy like Marchand, just, I've been saying, beating this drum all playoff long. Been there, done that. They completely bought into the system, and Tuca is himself again. I think, I think this is our last podcast of this season. Ouch. I'll miss you. <laughs> it's going to be a fantastic game five just to see that battle of attrition going on, man. All right. Well, we just previewed all of it. That That's Benny thinks it's ending in six. I know I said whoever wins game five games win six, but like I said, I, I think it's just the, the 37 omen, as I say it, we're in the 37th minute of this podcast. Um, I honestly don't know. This is going to be great. Um, I'm excited, nervous, all in one. It's been a fun time being a fan here in Boston and watching this team that, I mean, I did not put them in the Stanley Cup final. I, I did a bracket on two, five and 10, just like everybody else here did. I didn't put them in there. I'm very happy. They're performing to a T. Charlie Coyle is going to have a huge goal in Game 5. And that's it. Um, Let me me ask you this, then. mm -hmm. Just really quick. Just give me a name. If St. Louis wins it in six games, because I think if there's a Game 7, even if it's just a short recording, we should do something just to talk about everything going into a Game 7 for the Stanley Cup. If St. Louis wins it in six, who's your constant for the Blues? I... The hardest part is this. At, at this moment, yeah. Because Jaden Schwartz had that huge series against San Jose. And he's been okay in this area. Not huge. He's been okay. Um, and then here comes along Vladimir Tarasenko, who's been phenomenal this series. And then you go to Ryan O'Reilly, who had a huge game four. I, I honestly don't know where it goes. I say somewhere with the three of them. Bennington's out. Yeah. I'm going to go with Petrangelo if St. Louis wins it. For the Conn Smythe, I like that. Yeah, I think he may not be leading anything on a score sheet, but for everybody that's just watched playoff hockey this year and seen, even if you haven't seen all of the Blues games, you've seen the majority of them, especially now in the Stanley Cup, he's just a fucking workhorse for them. Especially when you have a guy like Jay Bomeister in your top four that dead weight carrying some people around, brutal positioning in games three and four at home uh, by Bill Meester. I think Petrangelo would get my vote. For the Bruins, I'll ask you the same thing, but my vote right now, it's either, right now it's Tuka Rask, but Krug is kind of sneaking up on him. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the one too, just if you go off points and everything else. Uh, 
random point here. Uh, Tory Krug is currently now in the top 15 all-time in career playoff points among American defensemen. He's only played 58 playoff games, whereas nobody else in the top 15 has played lower than 85. So currently at 43 points. Um, in I think he got like 40 of them against the Rangers in his first series. That little fuck. I, yeah, I was going to say he definitely tore it up on that first one when he came back. <laughs> uh, yeah, I apologize, everyone, for my collective ADD. I've just been all over the place. We start talking about the Bruins. I start rambling. I apologize for that. Before we go anywhere, there were a couple of um, transactions this week, and I will uh, hand this off to my co-host. So the first, I think I can comfortably call this an old-school trade uh, before free agency. Back in the old days, teams would trade upcoming free agents that they knew they weren't going to be able to resign before the negotiating period opened, and just to recoup some type of draft pick before the guy leaves for a free agency. To that vein, Kevin Hayes, who is a rental from the Rangers for the Winnipeg Jets, was traded for a fifth-round pick in the 2019 draft to the Philadelphia Flyers, who just earlier in a week announced that they were going to be making a, quote, splash this summer, especially after hiring a VSA new head coach. I could see him signing in Philly. I just think he, at this point, why sign now when you can just get blown over, blown away with an offer from some other team once July rolls around? Yeah, I think the only thing for me was that it was Philly. I, I just don't know if he would want to go there and stay long-term. If he goes there, I'd say he would go for about maybe four years, cash in big. I'm sure they would give him at least 7.25. I have no Which question. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, and I mean, maybe that's what he's scared of, though, too. Maybe it's more, for him, Would do you think the bigger thing is money, or do you think it's term? Because he's young. Like, do you think he wants to be locked up somewhere for seven years? I mean, if, if he signed in Philly, he can go for eight now. But, I mean, do you think he would want to do that? To be honest, just with his time on the Rangers, I don't think... I think he's completely content signing a market deal. So someone like him, let's say he signed a six-year deal for $6 million a year because there's no way he should be getting more. I know it's different circumstances without him being a free agent, but Marshan would be my benchmark if I'm a team negotiating with a guy like Kevin Hayes. I think he'd be perfectly fine signing for 36 over 6 or something like that. I think he's more concerned about not having to be the man and I'm not saying that as a dig towards him. He just seems like more of a guy who just wants to show up and play, do his thing, and be a part of a good team. I don't think he wants to sign as a free agent as the number one guy who's going to be the big acquisition over the offseason that's going to lead a team around. I don't think he wants that. And for Philly, who's been struggling the last few years, it kind of is a curious fit, especially if they keep him at center because they have Couturier, they have Nolan Patrick, and then he would have Hayes as your 3C unless they're going to move Patrick down, which I'm not necessarily a fan of. So I don't see the fit there if he stays at center. And I don't think he would enjoy a market like Philly because even though he was in New York, when you're on the Rangers, you can walk down the street. Ranger fans will recognize you. Hockey fans will recognize you, but you can live your life. I don't know if that's very much possible in Philly. Yeah, I mean, the only thing going there when you said it comes to being down to the man, it would be 
Giroux, Voracek, Couturier. Like, I think he could fit in there in that culture and with that team. But it's like you said, I just don't think he wants Philadelphia. Yeah, I, and I damn, think... man. Didn't they get burned by JVR? No, is, isn't he still there? He, I know, but him. they got burned after giving that deal, at least in his first year of the deal. Well, yeah, that's true, too. I mean, I think the biggest thing it comes down to here is A.V. I think if he liked A.V. in New York, I think he signs in Philly. If he's iffy, I think he goes somewhere else. I'm going to call it right now, just shooting off the hip, he's going to sign with the Blue Jackets, the Torts. Interesting. To some Boston never, boys having a party. Yeah, he'll replace Duchesne, who I think is leaving town. But we'll get to that this summer. The next bit of news, just to wrap up really quick, Eric Carlson, not surprisingly at all, had groin surgery on May 31st. San Jose announced that he should be ready for the start of the regular season, whether that's in San Jose or another city that, that remains to be seen. But, yeah, you can tell that was a significant uh, injury that he was dealing with. And now that he's 29, turning 30, he has a history of legs slash groin problems. So it's going to be curious to see if that limits his term or money over the term when he signs a deal this summer. Yeah, I don't think he gets max term, but I think he gets paid for about four years. Maybe five. Yeah, I just... I think if you go seven, it's too long for him. And like you said, with the current injuries, kind of hard to guess. And the other thing is this. Pain-wise, A for the team, like if you sign him for even the four or five for Big Doe and he can't come back from this groin, woof. And for him too, I mean, that's a huge part of his game. It's not like he's just a stay-at-home defenseman. He needs to go up and down the ice to be effective. So if he can't he, be the Eric Carlson of old, like th- that's going to be life-changing for him. And he can't even skate backwards quickly when he's healthy, never mind when he's possibly dealing with nagging groin issues. Um, there was some report that apparently he was hoping for competitive offers from the Senators and Canadians this summer. If he resigns with Ottawa, that would be the craziest. Like, I think that would be the dumbest decision he could make. Like, I don't care. I don't know how much he could actually like Ottawa. To be honest, no offense, but when I mean, you're going to have teams like Vegas coming after you, Tampa coming after you, possibly even the Rangers. Hopefully not. I don't know how you want to end up back in Ottawa. In Montreal, I don't see really much of a fit there. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, something like four years, maybe even five for like eight and a half to nine million a year or something like that. Can you imagine how crazy big Montreal's long-term IR would be between him and Shea Weber <laughs> being on it? But anyways. But yeah, those are the two quick hits. Uh, game five tomorrow night. Looking forward to it. It's going to be a fantastic game. I already said whoever wins game three was going to win a cup, but really – Whoever wins tomorrow night is going to win it. Yeah, I think that's all it comes down to. Whoever wins tomorrow night is going to win game six, even though I threw out that whole Bergeron scenario. Everybody, as always, (laughs) thank you for listening. We appreciate it. It's been a wild ride. Uh, This cup still has us going. 
And yeah, I mean, if there is a Game 7, we will speak to you then. But if there is not, we will be giving you a Stanley Cup wrap-up whenever that happens. Everybody, thank you. We will catch you at some point to be determined.